I want to talk a little bit to, tonight uh, with you from a subject called compelling love, compelling love. Sometimes when we talk about love or preach about love, teach about love, people think, oh, it's a little cheesy. They want something really deep or deeper than that. But you, you're never going to get deeper than love. You will never get deeper than God's love. When God wants to take you deep, he takes you into his love. That's some deep stuff, if I might say. It's really amazing. But before I, I get all into that, let me give you a word I got from the Lord this morning. It was an amazing word from the Lord. I was coming in, had come in this morning. It was a bit after 7 a.m. I was coming to, to the fellowship early, and uh, uh, Barrett and his dad were already waiting on me, and, and Barrett got out. I, 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 he didn't startle me, but I thought, where did you come from? I thought your dad was backing in. He said, Dad told me to get out and help you. And he said, but before he said that, he said, hello, Pastor Don. And, and uh, something leaped within me. Remember how Mary uh, saluted Elizabeth, and Elizabeth said, Boy, when you, when you gave me your greeting, uh, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And uh, the, John the Baptist and his mama were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, as we would say, the Holy Spirit from, uh, from that moment. It was just a word. And when Barrett said something to me, the Lord gave me a word. And he gave me a word because uh, about reset, that uh, we have said that this is a time for uh, the church to reset. Not, not so much that we have done something wrong. Sometimes whenever uh, runners are running in a race, they're in the starting block, and maybe something happens, and, and uh, they, they, they all jump out of the starting block. Maybe somebody, I think, what that is that word? Is they, they, a false start. And so they will false start, and, and they, they'll come, bring them all back, and they reset. And I believe that this is what this time period is. Don't miss this time period. Uh, because it's for a reset, and and it's also for revealing. So you you won't be able to hide who you are. When God moves, you can't hide who you are. If you're naked, you're naked, man. You know, if you're in shambles, you're in shambles. Everybody knows it. If you are perpetrating Christianity and not really uh, walking in it, everybody knows it. You can't hide. And this is what God has is has revealed to me that this time is about revealing who we are, whether we are the sons of God or whether, whether we are, are the sons of the wicked one. It's all being revealed. So when he said this was a time for reset, the Lord spoke very clearly that, that many are concerned about America. This is a time also for reset for America. This is what God showed me. This is a, a time that the country needs to reset but the country cannot reset until the church resets. And as goes this church, so goes the nation. So the nation is not going to do better than you, than us. So I, that, that was an amazing revelation. It came in a flash. It just came in a flash. I wasn't seeking it. I wasn't looking for it. So those of us, whether you're here or whether you are watching by internet, what you must understand is if you are focused on the nation, you're wrongly focused. You have to focus on being who God says we are. And then if we get that right, then we will bring the nation along. But if we fail to get it right, the nation will be judged 
powerfully and, and pow powerfully as in, as in justly and righteously. And that means that we will not have the nation that we have had before. That's what the Lord revealed to me this morning. Now let's talk about compelling love, compelling love, what this compelling love is. Let us look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 14. I would like to first read from the English Standard Version, which says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So in the ESV he says, uh, we have concluded uh, because the love of God controls us, there's something we have reached a decision on. And that is that one died for all, therefore all died. So what the writer is saying here is that Jesus's sacrifice was efficacious, very effective, highly effective. It was a highly effective sacrifice. And this one person died for the sin of the entire world, the entire world. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I was talking to Reverend Stan and we were all, we were talking, we always talk about things. And um, we were talking about it and, and he said, yeah, he said, yeah, one lamb for a household. And uh, according to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12, one lamb for a household. And so Jesus' death is sufficient for all who are of Adam's household. And, and that is the power of the cross. It's the power of the death of Jesus. He says, for the love of God controls us. Now, the New King James says it slightly different in that there is a nuance of difference. That is, it's not spoken, it's not stark, but it's there. It is implied, it's implicit in, in this particular verse. He says from the New King James, for the love of Christ compels us, right? So sometimes control may have a different connotation, a different meaning to you. You think of, oh, I've been controlled all of my life and I'm trying to get away from that. And so you, don't, you won't really get it, but it compels us because we judge us. Now, Paul is saying, uh, we know that the love of Christ is compelling us because we have reached the right judgment. Uh, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. So then all of us then died. But I still wasn't quite satisfied. There, there was an understanding in my soul that I had to find. I had to find words for it. Or maybe you would say in, in my heart, but whether it was in my heart, in my soul, I had to find words for that. And sometimes you will know things in your heart that you don't have yet expression for. Now, God is taking us deeper into that by the way, but that's perhaps for another time, that he will give you so much that you can walk in what you can't always express, but you can show. All right, you can show it. Hallelujah, somebody. I, I was still searching, searching, and so I was searching and searching for, and doing word studies and uh, various translations, and I said, let me find what, out what Kenneth Wiest said. I've not looked at Kenneth Wiest's uh, Bible in a long, long time, but I said, let me see what he says, and boy, I found the words for what I was experiencing in my heart. And Kenneth Wiest says this, for the love which Christ has for me presses me from all sides holding me to one end and prohibiting me from considering any other. 
wrapping itself around me in tenderness, giving me an impelling motive, having brought me to this conclusion, namely, that one died on behalf of all. I said, wow. That's what my heart was saying, is that Jesus Christ, this compelling love, presses in on all sides, not only for me, but also for you, holding you and me to one thing, one end, prohibiting us from considering anything else, wrapping itself around us in tenderness and gentleness, giving us an impelling motive having brought us to this conclusion, one conclusion, namely that one died on behalf of us all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so it is Christ who holds us together with his amazing love. It is Christ who constrains us with his love and keeps us for one purpose and one purpose only, to reach the right conclusion. The love of Christ is a compelling force that causes us to rightly judge the intents and purposes of God. It causes us to rightly judge the intents and purposes of God. Now, can you see why everything depends on Christ? Can you see now why, why these things now depend on Christ's body being what it's supposed to be in the earth? Yes, they depend on you. You don't depend on those other things. Your one dependency is on Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It is because of his great love that we know that this one death is sufficient for all mankind. And we have reached the right conclusion. Let nothing steer you away from that right conclusion. I would like to, for us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. And in here, we're going to find compelling, far-reaching, and relentless love, right? Far-reaching, reaching deep, deep, deep down. Yes, going far, far away to find someone. And it's unrelenting. There's nothing that can make it stop. So, so even as we share this message today, I want us to know how, uh, how we should define this compelling love that compels us toward one goal. It, this, it is an unstoppable love. This love cannot be stopped, cannot be quenched. It's also revelatory, and it carries with it great reward. This a love carries with it great reward. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, Paul says to us, God, who is rich in mercy. Now, no, right, look at that. The God you serve, who is your heavenly father, is wealthy. Now, these, these, this is what, these are what I'm calling here. Uh, uh, they are the true riches of God. These things that I'm saying, mercy is one of the true riches of God. So God values mercy over gold, silver, U.S. dollars, uh, euros, or whatever. God values mercy. And so God is rich, wealthy in, in mercy. Bill Gates is like a pauper if you compare his dollars to God's mercy. He is a pauper. Yeah. He, is, he's not, he has no wealth at all, and though he is one of uh, the, the richest men in the world. Carlos Slim, nothing. Warren Buffett, no, absolutely nothing. No, compared to this Jeff Bezos, nothing. 
compared to the wealth of God. And so you have to understand what God values. You see, the things that man esteems, highly esteems, are uh, an abomination in the sight of God. So what man esteems is an abomination in the sight of God. God says that's nothing. So Paul tells us that God is wealthy in mercy. That's why you are here, by the way, that God is wealthy in mercy. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, he tells us that, that his mercies are new every morning. So that means for 8 billion people, God has some new mercy for them every day they wake up. That's just huge for us. So, so we have to know our wealth. We have to know our right positioning. And it is because of the love of God that we know this. And sometimes when you think, well, okay, tell me something new. I know that already. You don't know what you ought to know. No, when you have that kind of an attitude, you don't know what you ought to know. You don't know it yet. Well, listen to what he says. God is rich in mercy. Why, Paul? Because of his great love with which he has loved us, which he loved us. And so Paul says that God is rich in mercy because his love is greater. So I, I gave an example about drilling um, uh, oil and gas wells this morning. Uh, that was what I did before I started the preaching full-time. My brother Elliot was here. He did not correct me, so I think I was right. He did not correct me. He's better at it than I was, and, and I was pretty good at it, even if I say so myself. Uh, he's far better than I, I was ever at it. And, um, but anyway, so what happens is mercy is like a shallow, a somewhat shallow oil zone, hydrocarbon zone. So you, you drill down in the, in the earth, in the world. You drill down in the earth about, say, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000 feet, uh, and uh, you drill down in there, that's somewhat shallow, and you find a, a zone that's full of hydrocarbons, and you drill in that thing, and you're producing these hydrocarbons, but what you don't know is that there, there, there's a zone or zones down below it that are just full of, of, of pressure, gas, and, and oil who has been, as it were, like making it like a, like a cooker. You know, it's just a cooker. It's down there cooking and making this oil, and it's sending it up in these shallow zones. And so you just think you're really something. You're up here in the shallow zone. It is good. Now, it's good. It makes you wealthy. Yeah. That little 8,000-foot uh, zone or 9,000-foot zone can make you very wealthy, like the mercy of God makes you wealthy. But there is something even greater called the love of God. It's like that cooker. It's producing, churning, and that love of God pushes mercy up toward you. That's what that's like. That's what that's like. And what God wants, he wants you not only, he doesn't want you to abandon the mercy. He doesn't want you, as it were, to drill and produce the mercy and have all the mercy. He wants you to get down into the cooker. He wants to get you down into the depths of his love. That's what God wants for the believer. That's what we must do in this hour. We must not fail in this hour. There's a lot that will fail if we fail. Hallelujah. So... We want to get down to the cooker. And so he says to us, this scripture shows us the magnitude of his far-reaching love. He says to us, God, who is rich in mercy, why? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. We were dead. We could not produce anything that God wanted. 
We were dead in trespasses. He made us alive. Before I get to together, don't go to together yet. He made you alive. And that's a, an amazing feat that God made people whose graveyard was trespasses and sins. He made you alive. You came to yourself. You realized there's someone greater than I. You realize I need some help. You were dead. Before Jesus came into your heart, you didn't know anything about God. And listen what he did. says. He made us alive. Let's, Paul, what are you thinking, Paul? Together, he made us alive together. With whom? With Christ. So when Christ got out of the grave, he says, that's your getting up out of the grave. That's your, as they used to say in the country, that's your getting up morning. Yeah, you got out of the grave. So when Jesus died for you, he also died as you, for everyone who believed in him would have what he is, would have what he has. And so Christ's resurrection is also your resurrection. It's not just symbolic of your resurrection. It is your resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the church must understand this. The church must understand we can do nothing without Jesus Christ. We can do nothing without the plan of God. We know this. How do we know it? We know it by the love. It's the love. I've told you the example, given you rather the example of, I've noticed, I just noticed things. I've noticed my own wife. I noticed myself. I noticed my children. I noticed you. And when people know their love, they act different. They act different. I mean, tell, tell you, I mean, they, they move differently. I've even seen guys, you know, you know I mean, well, I won't even say how ugly they were. But, I mean, didn't look good at all. But knew they were love, and everybody thought they were attractive. Yeah, and I've seen young women and, and older women, middle-aged women and older women who knew they were loved and they had a step, boy. They walked differently than everybody. The way they would walk, I said, wow, they know they're loved. They know they're loved. And so that's what God is doing with us. See, the church hasn't walked like the church must walk, but, but the church is now being uh, given or being taken deeply into the love of Christ so that now the church knows, wait a minute, I'm not a rejected something or whatever. I am loved by God. When I was worthless, he loved me. Now that I bear his image, how much more? So he raised us up together with Christ. And then he says parenthetically to explain what happened before. He says, by grace, you've been saved. So he wants you to know you had nothing to do with it. It's by the grace of God, unmerited favor of God. You are here not because you are smarter than your peers. You're here because God poured lavishly upon you his grace. And not only did he make you alive with Christ, but he, it says at verse 6, and raised us up together. So he raised, when Christ got up, you got up, raised us up together and made us sit together. Now notice the togetherness. He says, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so it, your position in God because of his love is in the heavens. Your position, that's your position. Your condition is right here. Your position, you rule from your position, not your condition.
You rule from your position, not your condition. Your position can change your condition. Your position can cause you to endure your condition. So you can change your condition or endure your condition with, from your position. And so Jesus Christ is seated in the heavenly places and you and I are seated with him in him. What that means is that when God raised Jesus from the dead, elevated him to the highest place, brought him into heaven and brought him to the very throne of God, said, sit down, son, at my right hand till I make all of your enemies your footstool. And that was love that did it. That's what I'm trying to show you. It's love. It is the compelling love of God that has saved us. And now that same compelling love that raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand of God the Father, is resident in you. And it is the love, it is that love wherewith we have fellowship with God. It is that love. Without that love, we could not fellowship with God. We talk about, well, I've got God's spirit. You have God's spirit because of God's love. See, everything that God does comes from his love. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. This love is so compelling. I want to say again and again that, e that even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive. His love would not leave us the way he found us. Now, some of us wrestle against God. I think all of us have wrestled against God, but some of us are still wrestling. We wrestle against God. We wrestle against God. God is taking us into the depths of his love, and we act like we don't want to go. Because this love, this love is always characterized in the one loved by obedience. So, God has lavished his love upon you and poured out his love in your heart copiously, generously, just magnanimously. He has poured out this love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So it's the love of God has now been shared abroad in your heart. So it's covering your heart. Your responsibility is to obey him, whatever he says. And that's how you grow deeper into that love. That's how you grow deeper into that love. Now, in Ephesians 2, 1, he told us, Paul told us, he made us alive, those of us who were dead in trespasses and sins. That was our graveyard. Our graveyard was sin and trespass. That means that we were totally cut off from the living God. But love found a way. I, was, I, I, I failed to do it, but uh, Sister Grace sent me um, the words of that song, um, I was singing, I was sort of reciting the chorus, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I, I wish somebody would find that for me. And, um, and, and it was such, such a beautiful song. So we need to sing it again. Love lifted us. Love brought us up from the depths of despair. So this love is a, it's unstoppable love. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, verses 31 through 39. Yes, but you please. I would love to, to recite that. Thank you so much. Oh, I may need more glasses. Let me see. Super. It says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. 
But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Yes, love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. All my heart to him I give. Ever to him I cling. In his blessed presence live. Ever his praises sing. Love so mighty and so true, it merits my soul's best song. Faithful, loving service too, to him belongs. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. It was love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Wow. Amazing. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So this is the love of God that has brought us to this place. I implore you, stop resisting the love of God. Stop resisting the love of God through others. Sometimes we stop, we, we resist the love of God through others. Someone is trying to love you, showing you great love and, and deference, showing you patience, and you don't like the way they're doing it. That, that is probably indicative of something deeper. You don't like the way God loves you either. God loves you not by avoiding problems in life, but by taking you through them. Most of the problems in life are like paper tigers, and God wants you to not fear them. It, I told you the story of, of walking to our farm with my dad as being a little boy. Let me tell you again. If you're tired of hearing it, hear it one more time. <laughs> but I can remember we were walking. I was to his right. I was walking, and we came by this house. Uh, this family lived down there and uh, on our way to the farm, uh, they, they, the, the Lockridge family. And they had five, six, seven, eight bad dogs. And people in the country had dogs in those days. You know, you're not old enough to know that. But uh, we had, they, folks had bad dogs. And so that they were to keep things safe in the country. And so we were walking by, and those dogs smelled, I don't know, sniffed the wind or heard us m making noise, and they came all out in concert. They were barking viciously, and I was terrified. And I was walking at my dad's uh, right hand, and, and dad told me not to be afraid. I mean, it's like, come on. <laughs> you know, I can remember him saying, don't you be afraid, son. He did like this, don't you be afraid, son. And, and man, those dogs were coming. I, I just clung to his leg, and I, I wouldn't let go of his leg and, uh, because that was my, my help, you know. That, my dad's leg was my help. And so I, I stood there, and my dad told me, don't be afraid. And he pulled his hat off, and he terrified those dogs. He those dogs ran. They were so bad, but when dad stood up to them, they, they ran. And that's a picture of God for me. That's a picture of God standing up to the enemy on your behalf. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because it's love. My dad loved me, and he kept those dogs off me. Every good parent should love the, their children and keep all kinds of dogs off. That's what God does. That's what God does. In Romans 8.31, 
he, Paul asks, what then shall we say to these things? And so we need to ask what things um, uh, uh, are there that he's talking about. So in Romans 8, verse uh, 27, uh, verse 27 through 30, we're going to find out what Paul is saying by what shall we say to these things. See, there, there is something we ought to say about the love of God. There's something we ought to say about what God has done for us. Not just be quiet about it. There's something you ought to say. You know, sometimes we think we have the right response when we just sit down so sophisticated, unmoved by the Holy Spirit. But there's something you ought to say. So let's see what, what he says. Now, he who searches the heart's knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit, he says, so he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we know that, that the whole God, because of his great love, has given us his spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit doesn't just make intercession for you when you are in trouble. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for you every millisecond of your day, every millisecond of your night. The Holy Spirit, hallelujah, is making intercession for, for you. Hallelujah. Now, now let's keep reading this. And we know. Now, 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 this is on the heels of the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us according to God, our Father's will. We have a good, good Father. We have a good, good Father. We have a good, good Father. He's the best Father. And he says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God has called us according to his purpose. He, he called us that we might be sons of God. That we, now men, sons, women, sons, that we might be inheritors, that we might have audience with God, that we might share the same spirit, the same life as God, that, that you and I might share even his immortality with, he says, that's God's purpose. And I've, I've said for a number of years now, God has a singular purpose, and that is to fill the universe with his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So these are testing times. They are revealing times. What are you revealed to be? Now let's go continue. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might, that's Christ, be the firstborn among many brethren. Now notice, he says, for whom he foreknew. So God foreknew you. You didn't know him, but he knew you. And the scripture says that, that God, there was some intimacy with, uh, before the world was created. God knew you. And then he predestined you. Before he created the earth, he predestined you. He predetermined you. He predetermined that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Not partially, but totally and fully. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's our hope. This is the compelling love. And so this compelling love of God is making sure that nothing interrupts his plan. Thank you, Jesus. That's why the Bible says, for all things work together for good. 
to those who love God. Even the bad things that the devil brings to destroy you and to interrupt God's plan, they cannot interrupt God's plan. I told a story in one of the early services of my niece, our niece, who contracted pneumonia when she was about 21 years old. And it, they, 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 the doctors found out too late what it was. And they, it was a bit misdiagnosis. And she was dying. And she eventually died. We prayed for her, Charlotte. We didn't want Charlotte to die. And uh, she almost looked like my daughter Ginger's twin, my brother's daughter, and one of our brother's daughter. Anyway, she, she passed away. And at the, the funeral service, the, 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 this old Baptist preacher, he probably wasn't as old as I was, but he looked like he was. You, you know, when you're young, you think everybody looks old. And you get old, you say, no, you look young. And so but he was starting to preach, and he was, she, she was there. We were all sad. I was sad. The grief was just too much to bear. Uh, this young girl cut down, you know, before she could even really begin life. And the grief was so unbearable. And this old preacher stood up, and he said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he said, all things, all things, good things, bad things, all things. And it lifted me because I knew that somehow God was still in charge even though we could not explain, even though our hearts were breaking, God was still in charge. And I'm here to tell you today that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the pressures on your mind, God is still in charge. God is still in charge. And he is conforming you to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. And this is what he wants us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus was the unique and still is the unique son of God, but he was, was at one juncture the only begotten son of God. But now Jesus is not the only begotten. Hallelujah. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. He is not the only begotten. He is the first begotten of many brethren, of many brethren. He is the first begotten among many brethren. And sin, God wants you to know the depths of his love. And this is what he says. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. So he predestined you, but he didn't just leave you in a state of limbo. He didn't leave you in a state of flux. He called you. And those whom he called, he justified. And this word called, kaleo, means that God called you to himself. He didn't just call your name so you'd say, who is that? He called you and he woke you up out of your sleep, out of your slumber, out of your knowing nothing. He woke you up and you said, yes, Lord, yes, Father. He called you. And Paul shows you the progression. He, pre he foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you. Then he justified you. Look at, at how methodical God is. Look at how God is working for you on your behalf. That's why no weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon formed against you can prosper. So methodically, he justifies the called. Yes, he calls uh, the, the predestined one. And, and he foreknew even that. Wow. Wow. And look at what he says. 
He justified you. This is what God has done, not going to do. He has. He has justified you. He has declared you righteous. He has declared you righteous. You meet God's righteous requirement. It's a judicial decision. God, the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice, he says, not guilty. Based on faith in Jesus, my son. Justified you. And so now before God, it is as though you and I have never sinned. That's how efficacious the blood of Jesus is. That's how deep God's love is. Wow. So this is what's working for you. The love of God is behind it all. The love of God is the cooker. Yeah, it's causing the, the love of the, the grace of God, the mercy of God. It's causing all of the goodness of God, the kindness of God to work on your behalf. Yes, the love of God is the cooker. Thank you, Jesus. That's where it, all, it is all produced. And then he says, though, whom he justified, these he also glorified. So it means that, that, that God doesn't see you just as a mere mortal, a mere person, a blundering whatever. <laughs> uh, it wanted to come out, but it didn't, right? Yeah, he, he, he doesn't leave you there, but he has glorified you, and you are glorified in Jesus. When Jesus was glorified, when he, he had beaten death, he was now, and now he beat the grave, and then he beat gravity. He kept going and went up before, went out of the atmosphere to the stratosphere, the ionosphere. He went to all those spheres until he reached heaven, and he went where no man had ever gone before. And he, God said, God the Father said, sit down in my right hand, son, until I make every enemy your footstool. And he sat down at the right hand of power on high, ruling everything visible and invisible. That's the love that's working for you. Hallelujah. So Paul says that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me just, just say this quickly, and I won't add to it. My time has slipped away. But let me say, let me say in the face of this kind of love that has been extended to the repentant sinner, who would dare bring a charge against them before God? This God of love. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Now you're going to bring something toward the God, to, against one of you, to the God who has justified you, who has declared you righteous. You're going to say, well, what are you doing declaring them righteous? No. Who, now who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. So the, the Holy Spirit makes intercession and Jesus' presence in heaven makes intercession for you. His presence, he doesn't have to keep talking. He's just there. He's the finished work. He's the finished work. The work talks. Hallelujah. The first time in the annals of human history, a man had lived for 33 years without ever offending God, without ever sinning against God. And so Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, Paul says, for your sake, for your sake, Lord, we are killed all day long. 
We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. For your sake, for your purposes, we go through everything. Hallelujah. We go through everything for your sake. Yet, Paul says, in all these things, in all these things, in all the things that have come against you, all the things that have come against you, things that would, would make the average person insane that have come against you, all the robbery and the, the, the mayhem, all of the ugliness that, that has come against you, he said, yet in all these things, more, we are more, we're not conquerors, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's the love, it's the love factor. For Paul goes on to say, yet in all these things, doesn't matter, persecution, tribulation, distress, nakedness, famine, we're killed all day, and all, through all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he concludes, he says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life Death, nor life, these total extremes, nor angels or principalities, these high uh, beings, nor things present right now, coronavirus, upheaval in the nation, craziness everywhere, things present, nor things to come. Whatever's coming tomorrow, I'm not afraid of it. Whatever comes tomorrow, I know God holds it in his hands nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Nor height, doesn't matter how high or how low. There's nothing created that shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And then I want to conclude. Paul tells us, that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. You don't love God with your own love. He loved you. He first loved you. That's why you love him. It's his love that runs through you that causes you to love and causes you to be kept. And this is what he says. No eye has seen. I've seen a lot of beauty. I've seen the majestic mountains, Rocky Mountains. I've seen the Caskills. I've seen the Swiss Alps. I thought, whoa, look at the Alps. I've seen the Swiss Alps, the Alps over France. I've seen the luscious valleys of Croatia. I've seen the beautiful islands of the Philippines. And I thought, whoa, but I've seen Hawaii. Hawaii looks like it's God's paradise itself. And I thought there was nothing more beautiful. But Paul says, no, son, I hasn't seen. Ear hasn't heard. Neither has it entered to the heart of man. Those things which God has prepared for those who love him. And you and I know them. We are rewarded by God. He's, gonna, he's taking us to a place. He's taking us to a place that the scripture says is indescribable. It's beyond anything you can imagine. Yes, but we have an inkling. We have an inkling by the Holy Spirit. Because one day, God is going to fully share his immortality with us.
Yes, we will sit down at table with God. That's what the love of God has done. Taken sinners, rebellious sinners, treasonous sinners, hateful sinners, and made them sons. We'll sit down at table with God. I want to pray. If there's anybody here, you don't know Jesus, I want you to just raise your hand and say, I want Jesus in my heart. And you can do that, man. Jesus is the best. There's nobody like Jesus. And if you're watching here through internet, boy, and you need Jesus. You can have Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus as we've just preached, but you can have Jesus. I want you to say, I want Jesus. And if you do, the scripture says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God is giving you a time. This time period that we're in is sort of like a precursor to something worse. And if the church doesn't get it right, we're going to see worse quickly. I, I promise you that. that. That's going to happen. But now, it says, even before that day comes, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you can call on the name of Jesus. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Just believe. Believe this message that you have heard today. And you will be saved. You shall be saved. Because with the heart, with the mouth confession is made, with the, with the heart, uh, with, the mouth, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And with a heart, God causes you to be righteous. And this is what God wants to say and do to you today. In Jesus' name, and we give you thanks, Father, for everyone who is in this audience today. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. We give you praise, glory, and honor. We thank you, Jesus, for everyone under the sound of my voice. We thank you, King Jesus. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for saving everyone for giving everyone another opportunity to be saved. We thank you. We thank you. Glory to you. Glory to you. Glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. We thank you, Jesus, that those who have heard have confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus. They believed in their heart that you raised him from the dead. Lord, because with a heart, one believes unto righteousness. One believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With a heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we thank you that as they call upon you, you've saved them. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.